that's one of my favorites. I yeah. like that one. That's like me. Butterflies are amazing. You like them, don't you? I love them. What do you like about butterflies? They're like a miracle. The fact that they go through the process of starting out as a caterpillar, which looks nothing like the butterfly. I did that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes through that whole magical process of the metamorphosis where it just completely changes, and then it comes out with all the fractals of colors, and it's just its amazing. That's a cellus, isn't it, metamorphosis? It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. I love them. Um, anyway, I like that one. They're inspiring. It's really to good. Me. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe we could make speakers into butterfly. I mean, make butterfly wings be speakers. That'd be neat because they don't have sweet things to say. <laughs> the idea <laughs> of turning your clothes into a speaker or a microphone is really, really interesting. <laughs> so you could say that they figured out a new breakthrough in technology. Mm -hmm. How to make cloth talk and listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, an inventioneer is a person that has developed the skill and has the training to take a new breakthrough in science, like clothes that talk or listen, mm -hmm. and turn it into something really useful. What we do, we take these ideas and breakthroughs they discover in the laboratory. They, meaning all of the basic research scientists, and then we have studied the science of putting science to work. So we have to figure out what to do with them. Science fair is coming up, so this would be an opportunity for a science project. Someone could say, "Okay, for my science project, I'm going to study the inventionering challenge of putting talking clothes to work." Mm -hmm. And to show you on live television, camera, uh -huh. Cellus course, how this works, I would like to demonstrate the real thing. Okay? Wow. So the concept is cloth that can talk. Mm -hmm. That is the new technology. So now we turn it over to an inventioneer to tell us what to do with it. <laughs> See, it's happening right here live. This it's is live. not rehearsed. No, it's not. <laughs> However, I was thinking, oh, goodness, I'd make sure that everybody has to have really good conversations. Because if our clothes are listening to us and we let out yeah, bad... You don't want to piss off your clothes, that's for sure. <laughs> I think, I think I've got an idea. Okay, what is it? What could you do with clothes that talk? Yeah. And you know, you have to look at, with this new technology, you've got to look at the different facets of where we need new technology mm -hmm. to figure out how to do it. And I thought, oh, wouldn't these stores be able to take advantage of this? You know, there are some sto stores that sell clothes. Uh -huh. Okay, so a lady comes into the store, could be someone that likes butterflies. Comes into the store, there's all those clothes on the rack, uh -huh. and picks one out, and then they always have to try it on. That's, yeah. Me, I don't like trauma. I just buy them, take them home, they don't fit, <laughs> throw them away. <laughs> I call it recycling. <laughs> but anyway, no. So they go in, they try it on, uh -huh. and then they, you know what they do? They come out and they look at themselves in the mirror. Well, just think of it. So they put it on, <clears throat> and they fix their hair. They come out, and they look in the mirror, and then the outfit said, 
man, you look good. <laughs> I need a some marketing of those. Idea. I need some of those. Yeah, it fits you just right. That is, wow, you never is... look so good, and I'm on sale. <laughs> <laughs> you have good ideas. <laughs> ah, but inventionary, that's how it works. Yeah. You, you get a break. And you know, this actually could work. Talking clothes could be a great thing. Mm -hmm. Now, the person that's trying on the clothes would have to hook up the battery, charge it mm -hmm. up, you know, but it is fun. What about those awkward conversations where you really want to tell somebody something nice and then you just can't get the words out? Just better do it for you. You know, <laughs> talking, listening, clothing could make the world social. It could. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> if it could listen and if it could talk. And if it had an AI engine, artificial mm -hmm. intelligence engine, to analyze the conversation and put it all together, then when you're talking to someone, hi, how are you doing today? Oh, it's so good to see you today. And then your outfit pipes up. That's not what you told Billy. Tell the truth. you have to be careful. You have to change your way of thinking. <laughs> well, these are the kind of things we need to work out. Well, there mm -hmm. is some technology today that I really do want to talk about. Okay. And it's a technology that has me, it's really got me going. <laughs> got him going. For the longest time, I've been working on a way to store hydrogen safely and affordably in, in a very compact manner. Because I believe that once we solve the storage problem, hydrogen is going to just take over and it's going to be what we put in cars, airplanes, and, and every and flashlights. Hydrogen flash. I've got a, a hydrogen water bottle. Yes. I could actually turn this into a flashlight. It's got a light in there. It is interesting. Back when these flashlights were invented, and they had D cells. They were these were the old carbon batteries, and for the amount of electricity they would store, they were really bulky and heavy. And you couldn't really do anything like have a real electric car that could go anywhere because there's just not enough power in the battery drive to drive the car very far. Well, today we have electric cars becoming quite popular. And that is only true because batteries are much better today. And the batteries that the people are using in these cars are made with lithium. Lithium. Hydrogen, the smallest atom. Helium, second biggest. Mm -hmm. And then the first metal, lithium. Just three electrons, three neutrons. It's a very, very light metal. And they've learned how to make batteries using lithium ions. And that's what makes these electric cars feasible. And they are feasible. There's a lot of them being made. And so now, um, Cousin Musk, that's what I call him, Elon Musk. He's my cousin. Yeah. Now, I don't know how we're related, but he's so smart, he must be a cousin. <laughs> anyway, Elon uh, got excited about an electric car, and look what he's done. He's got the Tesla car, the Tesla car company. He's doing a lot of marvelous things. And many experts looking at what he was saying he was going to do would shake their heads and say, he'll never pull it off. But he did. I mean, it would be absolutely crazy to say, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to invent a rocket, <laughs> and I'm going to invent a little satellite, and I'm going to shoot a whole slug of them up in the air, and I'm going to have them all over the world so you can have internet everywhere. People <laughs> laugh. <laughs> We cannot laugh anymore, <laughs> can we? Because these little satellites of Elon's, which went up in Elon's own rocket, because it's the only way he could ever afford to do it, are now providing internet services. And it's pretty exciting. And his cars are doing extremely well, too. He is making more than half of all the cars being made in America that are electric. That's shocking that anybody could do that because these auto companies are so big and established and powerful that for someone to come in with a new company and compete is almost unthinkable. And he did it. I think it's amazing. But recently, I was reading a little story about how he decided he wanted to make a flying car. Hmm. And so he started looking into it. He started looking at the engineering and and a little car would fly, be kind of cool. Especially, you know, when the freeways slow down. <laughs> Off you go, right? Mm -hmm. Well, he did eventually announce that for flying cars to be feasible, he's determined that batteries are going to have to get about five times better than they are. They have to be a lot lighter. And he's got some great ideas, and he's got an inventioneering head where the Great ideas he doesn't have, he will make. That's how it happens, isn't it? I wonder if he gets his ideas by listening to his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, batteries are too heavy to fly. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today because I'm trying to uh, work with a lot of students that are going to become the great inventioners of the future. And whenever you can see how there is a new technology, there is a problem, we apply the technology, we turn it into a solution that actually catches on and does something, then things click. Our science fair at Acellus is really geared to help students learn how to use the scientific process of research and, and study and engineering, engineering. Mm -hmm to make a difference. So um, I want to show you a photograph of an airplane. There it is. This is a, a new airplane that is being built over in Germany. And uh, this particular one, if you could look inside, uh, can hold uh, six passengers. And maybe I can even show you that. Okay, here's inside the cabin, passengers. So this is a little cute airplane, but the things that are unique with this airplane are that it is electric. This airplane doesn't take jet fuel, it runs off of electricity. It has batteries, and guess what? They're not carbon batteries, they're not lead acid batteries, they're the new lithium ion batteries. And they've even chosen a particular kind of lithium ion, which is, they think, more suitable to fill the need for flying aircraft. Interestingly, though, as cousin Elon, I wonder if he's going to get mad at me for saying <laughs> that. Okay, for like allegedly it. my cousin. <laughs> I think he would like it. Yeah, I don't think so. <clears throat> I'm sure he would You'll like, like it. No. <laughs> if he got to know me, he'd like being your cousin. Yeah, everyone wants to be her cousin. And if we're, we're not related, are we? 
Okay. Well, are we? <laughs> I don't admit she's my cousin either. But anyway, he, they're building an airplane, and they're doing it with lithium-ion batteries. How did they solve the problem of the batteries are so heavy? Yeah. How'd they do it? Well, that's what inventioners do. We find out the best technology we've got, and we figure out how to push it into an application where it works, where it makes sense. How did they solve it? And they did it in a very interesting way. Um, I, I love watching inventioners, inventors, and the German scientists um, are very good. Germans make a lot of wonderful products, very, very well engineered. Okay. And as I watch their engineering technique, because I want to learn from them, I, I see that they have a, a very interesting approach for solving technical problems, and that is they just take it head on, brute force. They solve the problem by saying, okay, let's make it go farther. And the guy said, no. There's no battery available to make it go farther. Okay, then let's send it on short trips. <laughs> and you say, well, that's silly. No, that's what they did. So this airplane, I want to go back to the last picture again and let you look at it. This airplane can fly a grand total of 150 miles, actually 155 miles. So that's from L.A. to New York, isn't it? Not even close. That's from L.A. to, you know, down the block. 150 <laughs> miles is not very far. But they figured out how they could market this airplane for these little short hops. Oh. It would be profitable. And according to the news, they just signed a huge deal with an American airline to make a bunch of these for, a, for like a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. So um, sounds like the idea is catching on. Now there's a lot of other neat technologies in these airplanes. For example, instead of having big rotors like my drone does here, it big motors with, with big blades, mm -hmm. propellers, they put the propellers inside of a duct. And some of you know, I like ducted fans. When, when you put the propeller inside of an enclosure, it solves a lot of problems. The tips of these propellers are moving very fast. If it's moving at a certain rotations per minute, the inner part's going to be moving a lot slower than the outside because these have to go around a big circle. And very often, the tips of a propeller on an airplane will reach the speed of sound. And so they have drag and problems with that. Well, they put their propellers inside a duct. Then they made the duct capable of being tilted by the pilot. And what good is that? Well, they tip the tip, or they tip the duct down and so it can take off vertical, like a helicopter, like a drone. But if you fly that way, it's not very efficient. It takes a lot more power to get the 155 miles. So once they get up in the air, they tilt them again, pointing towards the direction they want to travel. And I think I've got some 
some footage of showing how that's done. This is the ducted fan that they are using. Here's the air going by. Now watch. They can tilt it down so that they can do a vertical takeoff. And then when they get up to uh, up in the air, then they're able to fly. So there's some neat technology here. All right, there's another thing that I want to show you. There's a little video they put out that I think you'd love to see where they're actually testing uh, their latest model. Let's take a look at it. Here we go. Here's takeoff, lifting off, and you see they're not zooming down the runway. Just kind of go straight up because all of those fans are pointing straight up now. It just floats up. That's kind of neat. Now, now they're going to tilt them. And as they start to tilt them, you can see what's happening in the background. We're starting to go forward. And this is real. That is neat. This is not only a working prototype, but it is very sophisticated. So much so that this is becoming a real commercial product. And they're be beginning to be able to market. So you can see they're uh, 40 knots speed. That's pretty slow. They're 115 feet. They could land anywhere. And their business model is that they would take very short hops for people. When I say very short, you know, it's going to have to be less than 155 miles. And in any kind of flying uh, vehicle, you have to be able to, to have some reserve when you land in case you have a problem landing. So that means it's probably going to be 30-mile 30, 30 hops, 40-mile hops that we do. They also have to solve the other problem with batteries, and that is they have to be able to charge them very quickly. And they have made it so that they can get an 80% charge on their batteries in 10 or 15 minutes, which means while people are loading and unloading, they can charge them up again for the next hop. So isn't that neat? I think they've got something amazing. And you're going to see more and more and more and more and more of these as time goes on. Okay, now I want to show you my flying vehicle right here. And guess what? It is powered by a lithium-ion battery pack. There it is. And, yep, I can fly for 20 to 30 minutes. If I don't put any load on here, no weight, nothing to carry except for my little <clears throat> camera, which is almost weightless, I can get almost 30 minutes out of this wonderful little drone. If I put something heavy on there, like a person, mm -hmm. then I want him to take off. <laughs> to be able to lift a load, which is what you want to do if you're going to ride in it, you know, then it takes a lot more power because you've got to move a lot more air to lift that weight. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So this battery is heavy. In fact, it's a big percent of the the weight, it's almost as heavy as the whole craft, okay? But that's what you need to be able to get it to fly. And the way I get over the fact that my batteries take hours to charge is I have multiple batteries. So when I go out to uh, send my drone north where I'll never find it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's about, he's oh, not. He's not here. Uh, oh, he is here. <laughs> <laughs> Tobias, she just ratted you out. <laughs> now <Science> everybody <laughs> knows that it's spring break, and Tobias pre-recorded his little lecture, and he didn't show up. 
So we can talk about him if we yeah, want. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, he made that cute little joke about his cute little daughter. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. She was probably right there looking at him. At home. <laughs> yeah. I hope you get your. Okay. But anyway, yeah, his drone is still missing in action. But this battery is really heavy, and so I can't carry much of a load. And if even without much of a load, I only got 20 or 30 minutes. Wouldn't it be nice if flying craft like this could go far enough to really do something. And Elon says, you know, the battery's got to get quite a bit better. And I think he actually is saying five times better, which means five times as much power for the same way. Wow. You store five times as much energy. Well, I think the way to solve this problem is with our good friend, hydrogen, <laughs> our favorite element. It is. Why is it our favorite element? It's the best. Number one? Yeah, it's number one. How <laughs> did you know? Yeah. It's number one. As you know, a lot of, of my career has been associated with hydrogen, and that all started with the science fair. Mm. And Joshua, who does happen to be here tonight, uh, but he still taped his thing, <laughs> and he sat there and watched himself, and he was giving, oh, he's doing really well. <laughs> and by the way, I, I, I love the students you showed Oh, I like really cowboys, great. too. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> the science fair is when? April 27th. It is coming up. There's still time. Wow. It's <clears throat> just possible that this year one of the Acellus Academy students will jump on a last-minute science fair project and make a breakthrough that will change their career and maybe even change the world. And I think hydrogen cars are really going to change if anybody can ever solve the storage problem. The problem with the batteries is the storage problem. They don't store enough energy, but they're good enough that we are selling a lot of vehicles. Hydrogen needs a major breakthrough. And the reason I'm so excited tonight is because I feel like we have a major breakthrough in hydrogen storage technology. Wow. We have a thing which <clears throat> I call a hydrogen energy pot. And this is a mock-up. <laughs> so this is something mean? that means it helps me conceptualize it. Mm -hmm. It also means Tanya cannot store certain things in the refrigerator. <laughs> because we're using. Well, I give this back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And she's so sweet. And she's not here tonight either. Spring breaks really hard on this channel. But we're but, here. But we're here. But just imagine that this is a little storage pod. Okay. like a battery, only it stores hydrogen, and suppose that it stores a lot more hydrogen than we're used to. Wow. In fact, with the newest technology, we can store more energy in these pods for the same weight than a lithium-ion battery, and even enough to meet the criteria that Cousin Elon says he needs to make a flying car. In other words, if we put this new technology, which we've invented here at IST, in this little airplane, show us the airplane shot again. This little German 
critter airplane, if we were to put our brand new storage system in there, instead of going 150 miles, it could load up its passengers and go over 1,000 miles. Oh, wow. And that completely changes the capabilities. That's amazing. Yeah, it is an amazing breakthrough. Amazing. And the same thing is true for a car. With this new technology, and by the way, this is called the breakthrough stage. It's not the working prototype stage. Every once in a while, we get a wonderful idea, and we know how great it is, and we do the calculations on how well it's going to work, and then we build one, and we run into a problem, and we're down the optimism curve, and we never talk about it again. <laughs> that does happen. But this one, I'm pretty confident we've really got something. If you bought a car, an electric car like a Tesla, and you could go 300 miles without needing to plug it in, bring it over, we'll open the trunk, and we'll put one of these new things in the trunk. And it's interesting, the stores hydrogen. This is an energy pot, it stores hydrogen, but the hydrogen comes out and we run it through a fuel cell which is a special contraption that converts hydrogen into electricity on the fly. And when we do that, we'd be able to make that same Tesla car run over 1,000 miles. In fact, we can make it run almost 2,000 miles and still be practical to drive. So I think it'd be fun to start an electric car like a Tesla on the West Coast in Los Angeles and drive it all the way to Washington, D.C. without ever recharging. That would be fantastic. Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That would be and this also helps solve the charging problem. I'm not going to get into too much detail on it, but I think it's kind of a, of a neat breakthrough. And this is now one of the projects that I am focusing on. So one of our <laughs> one of our students want to know what you think about electric cars and if you'd ever buy one. Oh yeah. And so I, I think electric cars are hydrogen fuel cell cars with the wrong battery. <laughs> so there we go. Now I want to look at my favorite electric car. Okay. Can we put up a picture of <laughs> laser cell one? Yes. There it there is. It is. Laser cell one. This is the hydrogen car we built. Mm -hmm. And you know about this because you kind of helped with it. I do. So mm -hmm. in the back of the car there, you can see that rectangular tank. It's got some pressure gauges. That's where we store the hydrogen in this car. In the front, under the hood, there's no engine because this has electric motors. But there is a hydrogen fuel cell. And can you see it here on the left, that box? That's a hydrogen fuel cell. And if we opened it up and looked inside, there is a whole stack of 130 membranes. And each one of those membranes allow hydrogen to be transformed into water, giving off electricity. There are no moving parts inside there. So it's kind of like a battery, but the battery is fueled by hydrogen. And as long as you keep putting hydrogen and air in there, then the vehicle keeps going. Now if you look way over on the far right, can you see that round thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I have to tell you about that. When we were developing this prototype, we had the fuel cell sitting on the lab bench in the laboratory. And we were testing it and testing it. We tested it for several years. And we had a hydrogen tank <clears throat> that brought the hydrogen in to run the fuel cell. But for the oxygen, we just had an oxygen tank. And we ran it over. And we tested it and tested it and tested it. And it ran perfect. So then came the time to put it in the car. And when we were getting ready to put it in the car, we realized we don't want an oxygen tank. We just need air. And then it dawned on us, we hadn't figured out how to pump the air through the fuel cell. And so we started figuring out what kind of a blower we needed. And it needed to have a pretty good volume of air, especially at full power. And it also needed to have a fairly decent pressure to push it through the fuel cell. And we realized we would use one-third of the power from the fuel cell just to compress the air, which means we threw away a third of our fuel. Bad idea. I never knew this part. A Ever. scientist never publishes negative notes. That's another story. Well, this is actually wow. true. And that was called the moment of panic. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that part either. Yeah, the moment of panic. And so the little gizmo over on the side, the round thing there with the uh -huh. big tube, that is the emergency invention that we had to make to save the day. We could not waste a third of the fuel moving air. The hydrogen was stored back in that tank in the back. And in that tank, we had the powder inside the tubes that would release the hydrogen as we drove. And it created pressure. It operated at about 45 pounds pressure, and we would charge it with higher pressure, but then when we were driving, it would run about 45 pounds pressure. So we had the hydrogen available at 45 pounds pressure, but to get the hydrogen through the fuel cell, we only needed five pounds pressure. So bringing the hydrogen down to five PSI meant we had energy. We had energy that we could use to compress the air. <clears throat> so that round thing is a little invention, and it has a rubber-like material in there that's round, that's stuck right in the middle, and we use it as a diaphragm. And that means it can go up and down, up and down, up and down. On the top, you can see there's a tube coming in and out, and over the far right, there's this little round fitting up there. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it close, it actually is an air filter. That's where the air goes in. And what we do is we pull the diaphragm down. And in this little device, it's pulled down by a spring. The spring pushes the diaphragm down, <laughs> sucks in air. And then when we push the diaphragm up, there's a check valve right under that intake. So it can't go out there anymore. So it has to go out through that tube over to the fuel cell. And so as we push it up, it pushes air through. The problem is, how do you push it up without needing to use a lot of fuel to power it? And what we did is we've got a little actuator down there with a piston, and we brought the hydrogen out of the hydrogen tank to push the piston, to push the air, and then it goes out and into the fuel cell. 
So that 45 PSI became the thing that saved the day for this little hydrogen car prototype. So it was like free energy. It was only free because we were going to throw it away. We didn't have any other way to use it. And it saved, it saved wow. the, the car. So we have the hydrogen coming from the tank. It goes into this little, uh, it's a little piston and actuator. It's, it's, it's actually was a pneumatic actuator. Pneumatic means you turn on the air pressure to it and it pushes a valve or something. And we put it underneath there. And then we used an electric solenoid so we could turn it on and off. And it would open and squirt out the, the air and let the hydrogen exhaust into the fuel cell. And there was something kind of magical. When we weren't driving, we didn't need any power. And so we weren't consuming any hydrogen. So it didn't push any air. When we were going fast down the road, we needed a lot of hydrogen because we needed the power. So a lot of hydrogen was going through. So it was pushing a lot of air. And we always need the same ratio of air. We need hydrogen. So it worked perfect. That's so neat. If we'd had it compressing that much air all the time, it would have taken 10 times more power. Wow. So it was a pretty neat little invention. If you don't say so yourself. The air compressor. Mm -hmm. Isn't it embarrassing that we didn't realize in the lab that we had a problem until we actually built the prototypes? And those of you that are doing science fair projects are going to find out that that is a lot of what your science fair project is going to be, is running into problems, things you hadn't anticipated. But learn from them. Learn from every mistake. Learn from every problem. And there was a day when I was really discouraged because we got this car ready. We fixed it all up. We put the hydride tank in. We put the fuel cell there. And then all of a sudden, I realize this car is going to go nowhere. And then we got it going. Interestingly, the thousands and thousands of hydrogen cars, which are now being sold by seven automobile companies, all use the same hydrogen fuel cell technology to power the cars. So this did become practical, and it did catch on. Now, Thousands and thousands of cars in a world this big is not a significant percent of the market. But once we solve the storage problem, I believe it will very quickly show why it's a better solution than even lithium-ion batteries. And that will be seen. Now, I don't want to say too much about it because I want to surprise everybody. <laughs> I like that. And there's reasons why you want to surprise people with technology, because that's how you're able to get back all of the money we're investing in researching this. But it's, it's kind of exciting. So what can we see? What can we expect? Well, I want to buy one of those airplanes. Wait. And I wondered if you'd go in on it with me. I'll, yes, I will. <laughs> there are four and a half million dollars. Okay, we'll get started right away. Well, I thought <laughs> I thought I could cover the half. <laughs> because I haven't sold my company yet. You did sell yours. I did sell. So I'll do my part. 
Out of devotion to the advancement of science, the students, and I were wondering. <laughs> you bring them into it. Including That's the, not fair. the wonderful little rodeo cowboys. I like We're rodeo all wondering if, if you'd step up here. I'm stepping up. Okay. Sell your butterfly and help us do this. <laughs> Well, what? it is, okay. it is we'll really it. exciting. It's exciting. And we are now building some new hydrogen laboratories to perfect this very technology in our new IST building sure. right across the road. It's exciting. And we're getting excited about IST. IST is the Institute of Science and Technology. Yes. And that's where I began. Just a real quick thumbnail on, on how I got here. I went to the university, I graduated, I went to be mentored by Bill Lear, and as soon as I finished with Bill Lear, I felt like I'm ready now to do it. So I started a company. That company grew, it eventually became public, which means that the shares were traded on the stock exchange, and every day they had a different price, some days it was up. The stock came out with this wonderful price of 10 cents a share, if you had a dime, you could buy a share. And I ran the company for 13 years, and the company went from 10 cents a share to $23 a share. Wow. And that established a financial opportunity for me and, and some of the people that invested. So then, as soon as I came out of that company, the very next thing I did was to get involved in education and involved in the Institute of Science and Technology. And I was very fortunate to uh, have some dear friends that were very well uh, respected and renowned scientists in their different fields. And we together founded the International Academy of Science, which is a university that's been operating for 38 years. The Institute of Science and Technology graduate students with a doctorate degree in engineering fields. We have five majors. It was some of our students working on their degree that developed all of the different pieces of technology we needed to start Acellus. Acellus is an application of science and technology for students K through 12 and starting next year three years old to 12. We're adding two more years because we, we have a lot of demand for that. And it's doing really remarkable things. I'm hoping that some of you that are in this mentoring program will consider coming and having a few year visit at IST and maybe earning your doctoral degree here too. But we do have a new program at IST that we're just planning to announce next week. I'm excited. You hear about it first right here. We call it the Acellus Apprenticeship Program. A lot of students that are, are in Acellus, Acellus Academy, Power Home School, and other Acellus programs, mm -hmm. are saying that they've been going to school for 13 years and now they want to get a job and they want to have a career and they don't want to spend the years going to college. Well, college is the way that you, you develop a strong basis in engineering and math and physics and science. <clears throat> it's highly recommended. 
but not for everybody. <clears throat> and so the apprenticeship program is a quick start career program, <clears throat> which in two years is going to put you into careers in technology fields. And we'll, we'll be launching that part of our website next week, so you'll be able to check it out. That is exciting. One of the nice things about the apprenticeship program, the way we've set it up, is instead of paying tuition, when you start the apprenticeship program, you get paid. So this is a way you can jumpstart your career. And how do we do that? We spin gold out of thin air. <laughs> she does. I don't, I don't know how to do that. But actually what we do is we get you working on projects and we have our partners that will actually pay you to do those. And, and the nice thing is do it well. And when you graduate, there'll be one of the job offers you'll be able to get. So the apprenticeship program is coming. Technology is a real good place to be right now. So for goodness sakes, study hard. Yes. Learn, learn, learn. Yes. And Tobias, next time we expect you here live. This is Science Live. Thank it you. Is.